Allow me to pray. Lord Jesus, we want your spirit. Your own disciples struggled with what uh, was an incorrect spirit. You chastised them for wanting to call fire down from heaven upon the Samaritans. I uh, said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Lord, how do we distinguish? How do we proceed? How are we to think? What passions should inflame us regarding the current events in the Middle East, as well as the events in our lives? So, Lord, give us a taste, a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven this morning, your plans, your thoughts about the earth, and uh, use a Just use a vessel, just a measly old nothing vessel this morning to convey your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Charles Gardner said, ignorance of Israel will leave your faith weakened, while knowledge of Israel, even in its present, largely unrepentant state, will edify your soul as you realize afresh that you can trust in the one and only Savior of the world for whom the Jewish people remain the apple of his eye. And I would agree with that. Most people today struggle, and they struggle during the rise of the Arab Spring. They struggled with the beheadings of ISIS. How can these things be? Many people see events like this and say, this is the reason I don't believe in God because of the atrocities committed in the name of God. I hear that all the time in my conversations with people who don't yet know Jesus. There is an explanation, and it's a profound explanation, and it requires an understanding of the full narrative of Scripture, really from the first chapter of Genesis to the last chapter of Revelation. Once you understand the cosmic story, the full story of God's plans in the earth that in, have in oftentimes revolve around the nation of Israel. Why? Jesus was a Jew. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. Moses was a Jew. Abraham was the genesis of multiplicity of nations, one which would become the nation that we now call Israel. When we talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we cannot, we can't, we are incapable of telling the story of Jesus without talking about the story of Israel. You cannot understand it if you just try to pluck the Jesus part out and don't understand. You'll be lost in confusion. You will not understand. You will not understand. So, I'm going to start this morning with a, about a 20-minute interview that I had with the president, Dr. Erez Saref, of One for Israel, or you can say it was Israel College of the Bible, and that's kind of One for Israel, you can say One for Israel Bible College, of which I serve on the board. I was in Budapest, had the privilege of being in Budapest last year to speak to their staff. It was our first worldwide staff meeting that we had ever had. And then also the academic dean, Dr. Seth Postel. Both of them have been here. Uh, Dr. Saraf has been here numerous times. We have a number of people here at Church at the Red Door that come that are on their their board, uh, their U.S. board, of which I am a participant. I know a lot about this issue. I've spent a lot of time, many of you know some of my history of about a year with Bill McCartney, who was the founder of Promise Keepers, and he and I and a few others started a ministry uh, called One uh, Road to Jerusalem, excuse me. And um, so I've been in and around this issue for a long time. I know a lot of the believing community uh, within Israel, Arabs and Jew- Jewish believers. That first song that I played after I got up and made my comments about praying for the peace of Jerusalem, as you could probably tell, was right set right up against the garden tomb. That was one of our productions for One for Israel. And there was an Arab brother, there was a Jewish brother, and it was, was, as you could see, it was in English, Arabic, and, and Hebrew as well. That's a picture of God's heart. That's a picture of the future. We're going to talk about this a little bit more specifically next week. That is the picture of what will be one day. There will be peace in the Middle East. And we're already in the first stages 
of the, not only because of the rebirth of Israel, but now Jewish men and women are believing in Jesus. Arabs of Palestinian origin and otherwise are believing into Jesus as the Messiah. This is peace. If you want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that's what you're praying for right there, that picture that you had. And so in this interview, um, we don't cover everything. I just wanted to get their pulse, some of their kind of feelings of where they were going. We're going to talk a lot about what it is to be part of a nation and then what it is to be also part of the kingdom of God. And sometimes they overlap and it's hard. I had a a very close cousin who was killed as an F-16 fighter pilot. Many of you know that story and was the only F-16 fighter pilot that we lost, and it was just outside of Baghdad. And uh, he loved Jesus. Can that be both? At times it is, and we're going to talk about what the difference is between governmental authority, the sword of, that God gives to government authorities, and then we're going to talk about the difference between that and being a participant in the kingdom of heaven that has already been, come. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are part of that kingdom. Those get really mixed up, and it's challenging. And if you don't understand the distinction between the two, you'll never know how to navigate times like this. So let's play the interview. Well, uh, first of all, welcome, Church of the Red Door community. Uh, You know these two faces. They've been with us any number of times. Uh, We have uh, on the lower screen here uh, the president of One for Israel Bible College, Dr. Eris Saref, it's so good to see you. Uh, good to see you. Uh, circumstances are tragic, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. And also the academic dean, Seth Postel, Dr. Seth Postel, who, who, whom we love and, and care for. And this is not just some, uh, as many of you know, this is personal, and this is uh, very a significant part of Church of the Red Door and our, and our heart for uh, not just Israel, but especially the believing community, uh, Arab and Jewish believing community in and around Israel and, and the vision that they have. So anyway, welcome to both of you. Thank you. It's great to see you. Great to be with you, Jeffrey and everyone. Okay, guys, first of all, uh, I can I cannot even begin to imagine, uh, I guess the closest I could maybe even think of in terms of the American uh, experience is 9-11, but Tell me, give me a little bit of update, both personal and just any anything you want to add. Uh, how did you find out about this? What was that? What did that look like? And then maybe let's just talk a little bit about thoughts as they emerge. Uh, Dr. Sheriff, I'll start with you. Uh, how did you find out? What What was the first reaction? Was it uh, did did you did it take a while to really understand the full? Uh, yeah. everything that's happened. So last Saturday, October 7th, 6.30 in the morning, uh, and I'm hearing those unusual, I mean, it's, uh, again, now I know it was bombs dropping. We live on the Judean Hills outside Jerusalem, and we can see from our yard the entire lowland and southern coast of Israel. And I'm, I'm waking up, and I'm hearing those bangs, and I was like, what is happening and initially, I thought maybe my neighbor is dropping heavy boxes on my roof or something. So I get up, I look at my phone, and I, I can't believe my eyes. Uh, this is 6.30 in the morning. By 7 o'clock in the morning, I'm receiving uh, from a body of mine that has some uh, connections in the security community, videos of armed Hamas terrorists inside Israeli cities and villages. This is 7 a.m. in the morning. And I I thought it was fake news. I didn't believe it. Like, it cannot be. And uh, so that was the beginning. And as the day unfolded, and as the days unfolded and unfold, actually, uh, we get more details about the absolute atrocities that are taking place. And there's a million questions. First of all, how can it even be? Billions of dollars invested in security and I think we as a nation have experienced uh, a complete shock, a tremendous sense of humiliation, uh, which is just, um, you know, 
a lot of Israelis, we take a lot of pride in our military, just the need to defend ourselves. And we did it. I mean, as the atrocities show, we're not properly. And as a result, thousands of lives, lives are lost and many, many more tens of thousands are affected. And um, I think in these days in the nation of Israel, there's uh, the, the shock is turning into anger. So that was kind of the, the way this began. And uh, specifically for us at One for Israel, you know, we on the day to day, we engage in evangelism, in discipleship and telling our people about the Lord in a way they can understand, you know, in Hebrew, in Arabic. Uh, we're reaching out to the Arab world as well in Arabic. And, um, you know, a lot of our, most of our staff, younger staff members have sure. been drafted, including some of our children. And, um, you know, so what do we do? So we basically started diverting all of our resources to helping the needy in this situation which we do on a small scale on a day-to-day, but we just start to engage that in a... I mean, just try to imagine we're a country of 10 million people and literally overnight, several hundred thousands of our young adults, mainly men, but also women, have been deployed for reserves. And, um, you know, so just a large number and the the supply chain, the logistic chain, it's probably three or four days behind. Sure. So they come and they arrive and there's nothing. And... Um, yeah, it's as the news continue to stream in and kind of mm-hmm. our, our feelings, I think, move between unbelief to horror to just, uh, okay, how do we get, you know, we get to uh, talk to our, our friends and our families on the front lines and they're saying, okay, we need X, we need Y. It's like, okay, where do we buy that? Where do we buy, you know, a thousand chargers for cell phones? You know, so you start calling people, and yes. so all of our team started. All of our team started, and we're in this frenzy. We set up a, yeah. So forgive the longer answer, maybe than intended, oh, but no, it's, it's very exactly. emotional and close to home for us. And, and I, look, I know you guys' heads are spinning, and I know that you've had a lot of requests and for different interviews and feedback. Really, from you know, one for Israel is really all over the world. I mean, we have uh, obviously friends in Hong Kong and. I was with you in Budapest this last year, which was my privilege to be with you in the first, you know, big staff meeting and and all the different things that have occurred. And so I know you're getting swamped uh, with a desire. So it's a privilege for us uh, uh, to hear from you, uh, Seth. What give me give me just so just kind of a quick take on where you are and how you're doing. And and uh, again, how did you hear about this? And yeah. So you'd mentioned 9-11, and a lot of people are trying to, I think in America, Americans are trying to get a grasp or a sense of what Israelis are going through. And for them, the closest, like the, the immediate comparison would be 9-11. And in that sense, this is a, a 9-11 uh, for Israel. But there's another component to this, and that is, is that it brings out all the emotions of another 9-11 that we had 70 years ago. And so it's you see the um you see the babies beheaded and the and the and the families slaughtered indiscriminately and 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 women and children being carted off and it it it, it there's, a, I think, in every Jewish soul, there's a Holocaust nerve. There's this, there's this deep sense of never again. That, particularly with the birth of this rebirth of the state of Israel, and I think that this is, I think, you know, nationally speaking, I think this has touched on the deepest, most sensitive, most painful Jewish nervous system and it's evoked horror pain anger um it's also evoked something really that i've seen beautiful um i i've not seen such an incredible sense of volunteerism all over israel i mean everybody's getting involved and you've been in a you guys have been in a place of great divisiveness over the last number of years yeah especially this last few months 
so even in like in in our neighborhood but this is i'm just speaking as my neighborhood of a microcosm of israel okay. so we've got we've got religious and secular and we've got and like you have people volunteering to 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 guard at night there's like a, an, a civilian guard service you've got neighbors that are collecting goods to bring to people that are refugees now in 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 the hotels here in israel you people opening up their homes you've got people giving um it just there's this people that i've never known are calling me up in the middle of the night hey i heard a terrible noise can you go and check i mean it so and this is just all over israel like again it's a microcosm uh and in that sense um on the heels of such incredible division for the past year um just a reminder that um we're still the people of Israel. Uh, we're still, there's something, there's something incredible that unites us. And I'd like to say that this kind of also, so it's not only hit the, the, the nerve of the Holocaust nerve, but I think it's also hit deep down something that I think even seculars will have a hard time explaining, but it's true. The calling nerve, the divine calling, that right. there's something, there's something that God has put in our hearts a passion for national survival that, um, and again, in the end, we've been through so many disasters and, and God, God is faithful. He's faithful. Um, but, but in, in that knowledge of his faithfulness, we also mourn the incredible losses. And so, and that's that. I tried to touch on the emotions and also again um i think that god is th there are some there's a lot of beauty in the midst of horrors that are indescribable yeah i mean some of the stuff that's coming over the wire and I, you know i think of the grandmother that was slaughtered and then they took her cell phone took a picture of her and posted her dead body picture of her dead body on facebook I mean, some of these things and some of the uh, dismembering of children, I, it's really unimaginable. One of the things I'd love to you guys to maybe uh, try to put in context is this really is not a Jewish Arab thing that we're talking about this, uh, or I'm, I should ask the question, at least from, from my perspective here, it's more of a, it's a, it's a terrorist and a satanic uh, religious uh, ideological issue. Uh, not all Arabs are are in this camp. I mean, can you can you describe that a little bit? And then, of course, I mean, at the college, you know, with the privilege I have of serving on the U.S. board with the college, we have Arab we have Arab professors, Arab students, and 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 Jewish. I mean, can you can you put a little bit more detail into that? Yeah. So. Just a couple of examples for that. So first of all, to say that you're absolutely right. This is not, I mean, there's a, obviously the, the this murderous attack has, as, as Seth alluded, a very, very, very strong anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic component. Now, in Islam, the very fact for Muslims, they will, some extreme Muslims, yeah, they will tell you that the very fact that the state of Israel exists and that the Jews dare to lift their heads and not be a second-class citizens as they should be. And by the way, this is not only the Jews. It's Jews and Christians. Right. And they clearly say, first we're going to wipe out Saturday, and then we're going to wipe out, out Sunday. So I think, I think Christians need to understand, I mean, Israel and the Jewish people is the beginning for extreme Islam, and they say flat out all over the wire, all over. Uh, so that's the the uh, commandments of of, uh, of uh, the Prophet Muhammad, and so that's kind of where it's coming from. Um, but um, yeah, and, and and for us, you know, as you said, the roots, as I, I I like to say, the roots of this conflict are spiritual, you know, between the children of Abraham. And therefore, the solution is spiritual. And you've seen that, you've experienced that with, with our community, Jeffrey, where you see Arabs and Jews that in Christ, in the Messiah, we truly are one. We're complementing each other and we love each other. And just one example, and 
you know, Seth and I and a couple of others were in a group of pastors and leaders. These are senior pastors in, in the state of Israel, uh, both Jewish and Arab. They're graduates from our, through the years, from our Bible college and seminary. And, um, you know, just a few days ago, you know, right after all this is happening, one of the Jewish pastors from the north is posting a message. Says, Brothers, please pray for me. My niece was murdered. She was among those that was murdered there. You know, no, no details needed to add to that. And it was unbelievable, the the love, the support that yeah. uh, the Arab pastors have, um, you know, poured. And just actually just a couple of days before that, we had a prayer meeting. It was Zoom because we, people were all over the country. And, you know, and you see Arab, the Jewish pastors, one in Christ, praying for our nation, praying for the families that have been hurt, praying for this sheer evil that is you know upon us so it's been really amazing to see um i will say though that tensions are very high not, not in the christian community and certainly not in our community but i think generally in the country emotions are running very high and um you know the hamas regime is trying to really enrage israeli muslims there's about uh two million two and a half million maybe uh, Arabs in Israel, mostly Muslim. Uh, very few are extreme, but there are some. And they're actually encouraging them that uh, this Friday to basically go out and murder Jewish people. And Seth alluded to the fact that, you know, a lot of, of uh, cities and neighborhoods and, and communities basically have like a civil guard. And uh, so we just pray for peace in our communities and our Arab brothers and sisters are completely together with us in that. Which is just not understood by so many, even in, in the West and the church in the West, it's just not, I mean, that Jesus, well, we all know Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the mm -hmm. only answer yes. all the time. The best kept secret in Israel is Jesus. And uh, Seth, anything to add to that? Yeah, so... Just an anecdote, a personal anecdote. Um, yesterday, I was walking my dog, and I get a, a WhatsApp from a former Muslim with a very Muslim name from Ramallah, who now believes in Jesus. And the WhatsApp said, how are you? How are your family? How can I pray? Hmm. And that says it all. That's that it all. just says it all that there's no nothing, no commentary. That's the power of Jesus. And so, um, as that is alluded to the fact that there's a spiritual problem with a spiritual answer, and and we know that um, there's only one one savior who can can nullify this hate, turn it into um, love. So there yeah. is no hope for the Middle East other than that. No, you know, from, no. from, from I know from our perspective. No. Question. So, uh, kind of in in conclusion, there's much more. Maybe we'll do another update uh, as as events emerge over the next several weeks. Uh, I know there's a growing community. Well, there's a large community around the world, as I alluded to earlier. But I would like to I would like to say this to uh, everyone. You know, one of the things that has been on my heart for so many years is that uh, millions of dollars are raised and and. I, this was not the context of this or, or, or the reason that either one of these guys uh, agreed to be up at 730 in the morning. It's uh, we have a 10 hour time difference from the West Coast, but uh, million, hundreds of millions of dollars are raised uh, often uh, through the evangelical community uh, to give to Israel. And there's nothing wrong with that, except for the fact that uh, with a desire to see Jesus lifted up, why would we not do this through our believing community? Imagine 2,000 years ago, and uh, even in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, they were raising money for the poor saints in Jerusalem, not just for Jerusalem, for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Why? So that they could thrive. Why? So that they could walk into the destiny and the calling that God had given them to well fulfill many prophecies that you know see if isaiah 19 is an example a highway of holiness between egypt and syria which would be you know kind of modern day iran iraq the levant area and uh and you see that all of that and you say why, why would we be giving why wouldn't we give through 
uh, a people who will in then in the name Jews and Arabs in the name of Jesus take the gospel to this part of the world. If you care about this part of the world, if you want to see this part of the world transform, we've all been impacted by 9-11. And so uh, we'll, we'll have some things on the screen here for you, uh, oneforisrael.org. You can go, you can donate, you can do it through links and we'll get it to, or Church the Red Door or whatever. You can do all of that through us and we will also then direct that in the, as you direct us. Uh, but it just makes sense. And uh, and we've got much more to say about this, but any closing remarks? How can we pray for you guys? Uh, I mean, our hearts are broken. I mean, many of us, uh, I know, have been praying. Uh, we just, many don't know how to proceed. How can we pray and what can we do? So I would say, um, <clears throat> you know, one of the main things that weighs super heavily on our hearts uh, is the kidnapped and their families. And so there's over 130 uh, people that have been kidnapped, women, children, uh, elderly, and, uh, you know, some foreign workers. There's, I think, I, I, I saw like uh, 20 different nationalities of people that have been murdered. Among them, I think there were, uh, I want to say, I think it was 20-some American citizens. And... Um, you know, there's absolutely no information about them. Some of them are not even confirmed that they have been kidnapped. So just pray for a miraculous act of God for their release. Um, you know, there's thousands of people directly affected by that. And, you know, the over 1,200 people that uh, were murdered brutally. And so, and their family members, that they'll never be the same again. So that's, that's uh, just for you know, the Messiah to comfort the hurting. And it's part of what we try to do. I think um, a big part of it is now evacuating the women, children, elderly. We're engaged in that in a huge scale. Pray for them as well. And also pray that the northern frontier in Israel, uh, Hezbollah, I mean, Iran-led Hezbollah, will not uh, join this, which would put additional um, pressure on the state of Israel. I'm sure everybody's heard that the Sixth Fleet is, uh, yes. you know, right off our shores. And, um, and please pray for the believers in the country and in the region just to continue and shine the light of Christ, the light of Jesus in this hard hours. It's going to take, apparently it's going to take weeks, possibly months. And I think more and more needs are going to unfold, including psychological and spiritual needs. Then I come up actually a little later. Right now, it's just uh, alleviating and the hurting and, and trying to help those in need, giving the cold cup of water in the name of Jesus, as you said, Jeffrey. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Seth. Anything to add to that? This morning, I was reading in Exodus chapter 2, where it says that Moses saw his people being abused, somebody being abused, and suddenly he looked there and there, and he saw that there was no one. And a lot of times, people think that he's looking to be sneaky so that he can kill the Egyptian without being caught. But elsewhere, it's used in Isaiah 59, it actually God looks to and fro and he sees that there's no one. And so he helps. And I think the point of the text is that Moses was looking in all directions for help. And when he saw there was no one, he did something. But in a couple of chapters later, Moses is actually going to learn that he could have looked up. And, you know, um, Grateful that he helped, grateful that he stepped in, but Moses was a lot more powerful and victorious when he discovered that he can look up. And I think that that's one of the biggest burdens that we all have is that our people will look up, that's, that, that they'll look up, that they'll realize that, they, that we have a savior, that we have a redeemer, that we have somebody that weeps with us and cries with us and mourns with us and also longs to rejoice with us. Absolutely. I, uh, well, I love you guys. Uh, the only thing I'd like to close with is I, I think often in Galatians 6, 10, it says, as long as you can do, do good to everyone as if it's in your power, but then it says, especially those of the household of faith. And, um, you know, when I think about the middle East, uh, when it's in our power to pray for, to support, to, uh, as Ares alluded to, give a cold cup of water in the name of Jesus uh, to those that are hurting, 
and uh, and you know it's much of Israel doesn't even like to look at the two gentlemen that are on the screen in front of you and say they're not even Jewish anymore because they they have converted to Christianity, which is nothing could be further from the truth. I always ask, how can you be more Jewish than believing into a Jewish Messiah into the Jewish Messiah? How does that make you not Jewish? But I think as they're empowered by us to, in the name of Jesus, spread the peace of Jesus. That's what it means to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as the psalmist said. So if we want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, what we're praying for is that this community would be able to lift up Jesus and Jesus would be acknowledged by more and more uh, throughout the Middle East. And that includes those uh, people and those mothers that just want to get up and raise their kids that happen to be in the Gaza Strip and are, don't have anything to do with Hamas, and they may be inflamed, but Lord, Lord Jesus, liberate them in the name of Jesus. So guys, mm -hmm. thank you. I know it's early there. Thanks for getting up early and, and doing this with our community. Uh, you have a lot of friends here, and we will continue to uh, stand with you, and um, you know, we love you. So thanks for being with us. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, guys, thanks so much. I, uh, man, I just, <laughs> I really wept the other day when I was trying to describe this. It, it... So it gives you a little taste. Uh, as I described 9-11, it was really based on, if you were to base on population and the number that were lost in 9-11, not to diminish it in any way, this would be 10 or 11 times 9-11 for Israel based on the number of people that were lost. So uh, this is a big event. It's a big event. And it's a big event for the world. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. I want to bring up that first slide, if you would, of the, the puppeteer, if you guys don't mind. So... This is the image I want you to have. I'm going to first do a little bit of description about what's going on, if you think of a puppet show, what's going on on the stage with the puppets, always with an understanding that there is a puppeteer that is moving above. And our task, we don't walk according to what we can see. And in this metaphor, just the puppet activity. We walk according to what we cannot see. And there are spiritual forces that are engaged in the Middle East. And if we don't understand those, we're going to be reactionary. You see it all over secular media. People, you know, you've got Palestinian marches here in the United States. You've got pro-Israel marches. And people get very inflamed. And it goes nowhere other than inciting more violence. As followers of Jesus, we, let me be clear about this. As followers of Jesus... We are for Israelis. As followers of Jesus, we're also for Arabs. We are for their salvation. They are created in the image of God. They are beloved. And yet, there is a spiritual force of wickedness in heavenly places that is utilizing the bodies of many men and women in these terrorist organizations and it was no different during the time of Jesus. In John chapter 8, Jesus was confronted, and he made a remarkably what appears to be, had he not been Jewish, an anti-Semitic remark to some of, not all of, the religious elite when they wanted to murder him. And he said, you are of your father, the devil. In other words, he's saying, this is playing out down here, this murderous heart but he realized you are of your father. Satan is pulling the strings in your heart. You are of your father and the devil in the sense that you want to murder me. Okay. Now, he didn't just do that with the religious Jews, as I alluded to a minute ago in Luke chapter 9. He also did that with his own disciples when they wanted to call fire down from heaven. There is a new covenantial... Uh, Massive change in the way that God deals with people, and he deals with people now through his son. Okay, this is called, if you will, the church age or under the new covenant. And under the new covenant, as a follower of Jesus, I am for everyone. But I'm not unaware of the puppeteering that's going on above me, and that my battle, as Paul said, is not against 
flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That hand up there, metaphorically, that's where all the action's taking place. It's being manifest on this puppet stage. So the first thing I want to do this morning is I would like to describe a little bit about what's going on, and many of you know these details, but some of you, it'll make more sense, I think, in the larger context. It makes more sense. We're going to describe what's going on in the, on the stage. What is being moved now? Right now, Israel, again, became a nation. Why? I think there was a moment of sympathy at the end of World War II, having all the curtains pulled back and seeing six million Jews having been slaughtered by what? By a satanic force called the SS, okay? And there was a moment of sympathy, the United Nations established it. And by the way, many lines of nations were redrawn post-World War II. So this is not like, these lands have shifted and changed over time. But there there was a moment of sympathy worldwide, not among all, there was a pan-Islamic movement immediately after that that fully engaged and tried to destroy Israel the day, they, the day after that was declared that they had become a nation. Many of those tanks are still there in the Golan Heights and other places, and God miraculously, in my view, based upon how I see and I'll impact this over the next two weeks, there's a purpose for the reestablishment of the nation of Israel that has not only to do with the Jewish people coming to know Jesus, but has everything to do with a worldwide, global, and I believe this with all of my heart, and I'm going to try to unpack this for you a little bit, uh, a restoration of the world, but especially among the Middle East. They play a role, and that's part of why anti-Semitism, in my view, still exists. So right now, what are the characters on the stage? Well, I'll tell you what the characters are on the stage right now. You have multiplicity of terrorist organizations. Uh, Dr. Saref alluded to them as being a radical a Muslim ideology, a radical, terroristic. And what is terror? It's using horror to try to penetrate and drive fear into a nation or a community. It's, they operate through terror. And by the way, I'm going to show you in a few minutes just exactly how that happened in the Old Testament. It's always been the case. But right now, if you know, there's a little strip of land called Israel along the Mediterranean. And right now, I should have put up a map. And, and the lower left is where the Philistines actually used to be. It's a place we call the Gaza Strip. Somewhere up above mid-center is called the West Bank. You hear about it all the time. And then north of Israel is both Syria and Lebanon that border Israel on its northern border. Now, some of you will know the reason for the fleet being the sixth fleet being called in to the Mediterranean from the United States is not because uh, the, the Gaza Strip needs more artillery. It is a protection device against Hezbollah, who's on the northern borders, who is different than Hamas or the PLO. On the northern border in Lebanon, the terrorist organization that is able, is, has situated itself in Lebanon is called Hezbollah. Hezbollah wants the same thing that Hamas wants. They want Israel to not exist. They don't want peace. There is never going to be peace with these organizations. The West Bank is controlled by modern day, what we call the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the PLO. It is more of a political entity than a terrorist organization. It has control over the West Bank, and that's in the middle. Now remember, the whole state of Israel is about the size of New Jersey. I mean, only, I mean, you, it, when you read that the nations will reel because of Jerusalem and you read these things and you go, this is happening in our day. This should have been, if this was, if this was a farce, this should have long ago been a non-issue. This tiny strip of land that the whole world is riveted on is in many ways reflective of the reality of the legitimacy of the Bible itself because the prophets had seen these kinds of days in the future. That's important for you to understand. Hamas is then, the, as you know, the terrorist organization that two, in 2005, Israel pulled out all of its people and ceded control of the Gaza Strip back to those Palestinians that were living there. Two years later, they elected Hamas as their, for their governance. Okay, so, so since 2007, and since then, 
there have been rockets fired over and over that little fence that separates the southern part of Israel with the Gaza Strip, and that has continued. I need to preface some of these next statements with my opinion. I'm going to give you my opinion on this. Some of you are maybe Bible prophecy people, and I'm not, I am a, I'm I try to understand the prophets as best I can. But I have, my observation over the last number of decades has been that there, and, and reading back what's happened really since the establishment of the nation of Israel, there has been speculation about Antichrist and who and this and that, and everybody gets really confused. And, and some people even thought, you know, Jesus is coming on this time because it said within a generation of the reestablishment of the nation of Israel and the fig tree blossoming again or something, uh, Jesus said that generation will see the coming of Jesus. And so there were people, if you know anything about church history, you have had all kinds of Christians through the last you know, 100 years or so that have gotten themselves, sold all their stuff and set out in the field, the Millerites and many other people like that set out there ready for Jesus to come back because they had gone through their calculations based upon their view of the apocalyptic language that does exist in the Bible. And it oftentimes is very disillusioning. People walk away from the faith because they get disillusioned about people not making the right decision about what prophecies apply to what. I'm not going to do that. Yes, there's an Ezekiel war, and there it could be that it's, uh, you know, some of these names are a little bit mystical. Uh, people get very adamant about this. Uh, a Russia and Turkey and, and this and, and kind of come against Israel, and, and some of you may have read books like that, and that may be well the case. Some, the, some of these positions may, and that Ezekiel war may happen, but that to me is still not the primary issue of why Israel and why is there anti-Semitism. It doesn't answer the questions I want answered. Because when I go, and I have spoken at some of these prophecy conferences years ago, I spoke at some of these, and at the end, I was always asking the question, what, what did that accomplish? Now, I may be stepping on some toes, and I'm sorry if I am, but what did that accomplish? There's nothing wrong with wanting to know and reading the Bible and all those kinds of things and building your construction, whether you're premillennial or postmillennial, amillennial or whatever, and, and your view of how this is all going to come back down the pike. The problem is, what is that accomplishing? And sometimes I saw it accomplishing some very deleterious things, is that people would construct something and they would say, well, you don't need to worry about sharing the gospel in the Middle East, because Jesus is going to come back, and then, you know, then they're going to believe. And that, to me, is, that would, the Apostle Paul would stand up and shout, are you crazy? That's my view. Because he always went first into the synagogue. Jews are saved just like you and I are saved. Not because they're the apple of God's eye, because they accept that Jesus was the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, and they believe into him. The same way Arabs are and the same way any other Gentile is. We look at Jesus and we see him as the long-awaited Messiah. Please understand that foundationally. What's going on right now has been going on for a long time. In fact, we can go all the way back to Amalek. If you can imagine, and we have actually something on One for Israel on this, there's a little bit of dialogue, but there's what some people call the spirit of Amalek, the spirit of Amalek. One thing we know is that Satan himself in John 10, 10 does what? The thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Do you understand the very nature of Satan himself? Yes. Killing, stealing, and destroying. I don't care what you are. If you stand up and you say, I'm religious, and I'm supporting the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I am a Christian, and you have murder in your heart towards any people group, I'm not talking about government. I'm not talking about you being in the military. I'm talking about on an individual basis. If murder is in your heart, then Satan has you in his puppet strings. I'm telling you that right now because that's what Jesus told. Not only as I alluded to the religious Jews, it's exactly what he also told his own disciples. That's true. The Satan can use if Israel goes in and they go in and, and their foot soldiers go in and they go and begin to dismember uh, babies and cut the, you know, uh, and kill, <clears throat> kill mothers in front of their children or children in front of their mothers. I'm going to tell you that is satanic. I do not support that. And you shouldn't either. As a follower of Jesus, the nature of Jesus 
is mercy and love and compassion. Now, again, we'll look into this more next week, but governments have a responsibility. But as the kingdom of God, we don't have murder in our heart. I have compassion for those in the Gaza Strip who are not part of this Hamas. I have compassion for, you know, Jews and Israelis within Israel. I have compassion for those who were slaughtered. I can have compassion for both. I don't have to draw a line in the sand and then make, because what that does is it puts me back out on the stage of the puppets and it compromises my ability to share the gospel because it looks like I'm a politico that think there are other things that dominate my heart more than the salvation of all people. Do you understand that church at the red door? Now, as I look at the things on the, on the, here, I see an ally in Israel on the geopolitical, so I'm also a citizen of the United States. I'm not unwise to this. I know that these terrorist organizations want to kill, that America's the great Satan and Israel is the lesser Satan. I understand. Read, read the charter. I'm not, I'm not picking out what they say. Read Hamas's charter. They want Christians, they want U.S. citizens, they, you know, I'm t- and again, this is not all Muslims, but this is the terrorist organization Hamas. Read it for yourself. And you, and now, so as someone who exists both on this plane and understanding the spiritual realm, I am both a U.S. citizen and I may politically vote in the direction of Israel. Why? Because I think it's the best thing for our United States of America. That's a political statement. That is my personal political statement. But I operate on a much different plane than that. And the reason is, is because I know when the gospel comes in, that's going to be for those, good for those in Lebanon and the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. If I love Palestinians, I want Palestinians. One of those precious brothers, those Arab brothers that was singing on that first song uh, in, in front of the tomb as an Arab brother, and what a voice, and what a gracious, wonderful, just, loving, compassionate. I, I have no hatred in my heart at all for Arab-speaking people. Zero. And if it starts to rise because I am impacted by what I see on the puppet show stage, then I have to retreat and say, where is my head? I have to recalibrate. Satan loves to create anger and animosity among the people. And you can see Christian church history, one of the hardest things to do is to share Jesus with Jewish people because they know the history. And many parading as Christians in the Crusades and the Inquisitions and all that kind of stuff, they know the history. Or they grew up in a neighborhood here in the United States and they were called all kinds of names by Christian people. I'm just telling you, just because you hear somebody saying something under the name of Christianity, if it's not driven by mercy and love and compassion for everyone, it's not the spirit of Jesus, period, period. And I hope you sense that spirit in our friends. 1 John 3, verse 7, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, practices sin. I sin, but I don't, it's my intention not to practice sin. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. In other words, Jesus, you want to know what the gospel is? That's Satan's hand up there, the puppets, and Jesus wants to come and clip those little threads across, right? He wants to clip those. That's what you're enslaved by. If you don't know Jesus, you can say, I don't believe in any of this. I'm just telling you right now, that's your master, whether you want to even acknowledge God or not. And people get super offended by that. That was Jesus' testimony, if you understand it. And he came to clip those so you could be made free and have abundant life. Real quickly, I just want to close this morning, I want just a quick look at a couple of places in the Old Testament. This, the point is Satan's activities cycle and they cycle and they cycle and they really don't change. It's pretty much the same. 
Moses and his recounting of them coming out of Egypt when he was about to die on Mount Nebo in Deuteronomy. He's recounting the last 40 years of their wanderings and prior to them crossing the Jordan and going into the land. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17, I want you to listen to this. We're going to call this the spirit of Amalek. This is just what you saw with Hamas is the spirit of Amalek as an example. It's the genocide of the Jewish people. Listen to what it says. Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt? This is Moses speaking to those Hebrews. How he met you along the way and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall come about when the Lord has given you the rest from your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you as inheritance to possess. You shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You must not forget. Now, notice that what's interesting about that. Here's what the spirit of Satan does. He comes and he attacks from the rear the stragglers. Who would be the stragglers? The old grandmothers, you know, trying to make it out of Egypt. Maybe they've got some grandkids or this or that or the children or whatever. And that's what Amalek did there. It wasn't, it wasn't one nation against another. It was going in and assaulting the stragglers. That's exactly what just happened with Hamas. That spirit of Amalek, it was in Hamas. It still exists. There are a few other places, if you know anything about the story of Esther, it was a potent, it's, it's a very strange inclusion. Some, in fact, argue that it shouldn't be included in the Bible in the early days when they were trying to see, determine what was canonical. But Esther was this woman who had risen because Vashti got displaced because she wouldn't you know, bow to the whims of the king. And there was a man named Haman. And Haman decided that he wanted to slaughter, because of Mordecai, all the Jewish people that existed. And imagine this, where was Haman from? He was, the Bible simply says that he was, uh, well, he was an Agagite. What does that mean? He was from this group from King Agag, who was the king of Amalek, a genocide among the Jews. Why? And I'm going to answer that in a minute. Lastly, I think about Ziklag and King David. If you know, he was running from the, he had already been anointed king, but he was running from King Saul before he was made king. He was pretending that he was crazy. And then eventually they didn't know what to do with him. So he sent him home and he went back to where all their women and children were in Ziklag. And somebody had come in and burned the whole place and taken hostages their women and their children. And who were those people? The Amalekites. So let's call it the, the spirit of the Amalekites. Now remember, the Amalekites are playing here on this stage, and this is what we're reading about. But we know clearly that the puppet master of that, that spirit that was in Amalek was satanic. That was Satan. It's murder. It's brutality. It's no fear of God whatsoever. The nation of Islam doesn't believe that God is knowable. Please understand that. It allows us to act in brutal ways. When we remove God from the picture that God's not knowable, some of the the most horrific calamities ever in the history of the world have happened when men and women believe that God is not knowable. That's important for you to understand. So here's the big question. Why? Why is there so much anti-Semitism? I'm closing with these two ideas, and I want you to think about it this week, and then we'll pick this up again next week and talk a little bit more deeply about the hope, the profound hope, and our role in the hope as followers of Jesus, whether you're here and, being, and you're Jewish or Gentile or Arabic, or you may be listening, what is the hope? Because there is great hope. It's not all just calamity. Because we know who's even controlling, well, who's even controlling the puppeteers. There are strings above them, and that's the sovereignty of the living God. I believe that the reason that there was anti-Semitism and hatred 
and all, whether it was be the spirit of Amalek or many other circumstances, is that Satan was using people to do everything in his power to prevent the seed from coming. And the seed was promised to the descendants of Abraham through Isaac that the seed would be a light unto the nations and would sprinkle the nations and all that. And so Satan and his devices did everything that he could do to keep Jesus from coming to the world because he could read what God had been saying was going to be the plan. Why do you think King Herod the Great, who died about 4 BC, came in and slaughtered every male child in Bethlehem in that region under the age of two? Why? Crazy killing of innocents. Why? To keep the seed from coming. Anti-Semitism because Israel has a profound call. Not only did they have a call in ushering in Jesus the first time, I believe that they have a profound call to usher in the circumstances for Jesus to come back the second time. And if you understand that, then you'll understand modern day anti-Semitism. It doesn't make any sense. We could be sitting right here, and I know we have some Jewish men and women here today. We could be sitting right here and have someone, and he would know. Oh, you Jewish? I didn't know that. I mean, I, and I find out all the time. I know somebody, oh, yeah, well, I'm Jewish. I didn't know that. We've been friends for, you know, a couple of years. I mean, maybe, you know, kind of on the periphery here and kind of maybe, oh, I didn't even realize you were Jewish. I mean, this is not a skin thing. This is not a, a, a where you live thing. This is not an ethnic thing. It, it doesn't even feel like that. It's just like we didn't even know that. Why does the world hate? If you, didn't, you have an answer for that now. To keep the seed from coming the first time, and since that time, I believe, and I'll share more of this with you next week, that the, the very core reason that Satan hates Israel so much is they play a significant role in the seed coming back the second time. Only this time, not as a baby and a manger, but as a conquering king that will set all things right and bring everything to bear. And I'll give you a few verses that support that. So that's your morning. Look, I, 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 don't, I, I think things are going to get tougher for us as believers, as followers, whether you're Jewish or Gentile. I, we just don't live in the little leave it to beaver kind of world anymore where, you know, you go to church and people, hey, good for you. I'm not really into that, but good for you. Now it's kind of like you go to church, you crazy right wing nut, you know, January 6th, rioter, proud boy, you know, stupid, non-intellect, you know, country bumpkin. Who believes in that stuff anymore? It's very different than it was. And I don't think it's going to change for the better, but I will tell you that God is accomplishing his purposes. And Israel is involved in that, as is the entirety of the Middle East. So what do we do? We pray. Just like Dr. Saref said, we pray. And that's how I'm going to close in prayer. And then I'll have Pastor Paul after we play this worship video. I did this worship video one, one other time. And again, it has both Jewish men and women and it also has Palestinian children in this video. Because our heart is Jesus' heart. Jesus' heart is to be a light unto the nations. His task was very specific. He says, I only came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel during his physical manifestation for those 33 years that he lived on earth. But then he gave the task to Jewish men and women to take it to the ends of the earth. And, and, and that's where we see in Acts 13 where Paul says, that was our task. I mean, we are the light to the nations. So he gave the task knowing that they would go to the nations. So let, again, are we clear? Jesus loves the Palestinians. Jesus loves Jewish men and women. Whether they're secular, don't believe in God, have turned their back on him, he, he still loves them. And all this playing out on this stage, if you don't understand the spiritual forces behind it, you will live in a quagmire of political and ideological chatter that you'll see on TV and back and forth and back, and you will not have peace. If you can understand it, it will increase your peace. 
And that's what I want for you as a church. And maybe you're watching. I want you to have peace. Lord, Jesus, help us as we close with this video. Just the spirit of the video, Lord. It's, it's, it, we want to see you manifest in the Middle East. Lord, we, we care for our brothers and sisters so much. Arab and, and, not, and Jewish believers in you in the land. We care for them. I, my heart breaks too for, well, for some of the governmental geopolitical stuff that will go down over the coming weeks and months and the loss of life. Lord, it grieves us to no end. And yet, we trust that you are in it all, in Jesus' name. Let's close with the Prince of Peace, and then Paul will close us in prayer.